Good morning and good to see you at this time of worship. Glad to have you here, uh, especially if you are a visitor. We're glad to have you with us today. We had a big crowd at earlier service because our children were on display um, from Vacation Bible School. I think Katie said that she had about 70 children per night um, coming to Bible School. Um, lots of them were ours and we had a lot of guests as well. But um, that's where lots of parents and children are that normally are in this service were there at the early service today. We certainly appreciate the good work of Katie and her uh, volunteer army um, that put together a wonderful vacation Bible school this past week. A couple of uh, quick announcements. A uh, reminder that for children, uh, Wonderful Wednesday begins this week on uh, the 13th. Preschoolers and elementary age children are invited to, to come for movie day in the social hall from 9 until noon. Um, we'll watch a classic kids movie plus have all kinds of other fun games and snacks. Sign up by filling out the form in the church bulletin and dropping it in the offering plate today or by contacting Katie. And then a reminder that two weeks from today um, will be the um, annual Lake Day out at Lake Cunningham from 5 until 8. Please plan to join us for this evening of food and fellowship by the lake. Hot dogs and hamburgers and drinks will be provided, but please bring a side dish when you come or a dessert that you can share. So that's two weeks from today. Um, Mary Allender is in the hospital um, with a high white blood count from some infection they're chasing uh, and she's out at Pelham at that hospital been there since Friday I believe um, we also want to remember um, Alicia Dittmar who's in our choir her grandmother a 99 year old grandmother who had come here to live with them and later was uh, in assisted living Alice Olson passed away now Miss Alice was um, quite a lady uh, her funeral will be, will be back in Kansas, which was her home for many, many years. Um, she was church organist for 50 years. Uh, she was a delight to visit. When I'd go in the room, she'd say, now I know who you are, but I don't know your name. I said, that's good enough. So such a delight, and we celebrate her life and uh, now celebrate her entrance into eternal life. I am finding all kind of interesting things in my office as I'm cleaning up. I noticed that, that there are some ladies in the choir that, that get a little bit overheated some of these days when we sing, so I guess I'm going to leave my Tubrose Scotch Snuff fan for somebody. <laughs> Harriet. <laughs> And I don't know, I got, got this little bat, I don't know exactly what to do with it. <laughs> if y'all can think of anybody that might like the bat. <clears throat> oh, man. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
of faith is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under the Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he I do believe we're, uh, you're, you might be off the hook, Kevin. Kevin had our children's sermon for today. Put it on the ice till next week or whenever, because <laughs> we don't have too many children here today, this service. A um, couple of announcements I actually forgot. One is that the administrative 
board will be meeting a week from tomorrow night. It's a Monday night meeting on the 18th at uh, 7 p.m. over in the social hall. This is just our required quarterly meeting, and um, if you have any business to bring up, you'll see David Owens or, or me between now and then. Uh, we'll work that into our agenda. Also, the choir invites members of the Christmas choir and other special choirs to come to rehearsal um, the next couple of Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock to about 7.40 as they work on some special music for um, the 24th of June. So um, if you're in that number, we invite you to be here on Wednesday nights, uh, 7 to 7.40 on uh, uh, the coming next coming few weeks. Here now our first lesson from the reading from Romans chapter 3 verses 21 through 26. But now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith <clears throat> in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through, through faith in his blood he did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is on page 824. Uh, it is a reading from Psalm 103. I invite you to stand as you're able as we share this passage uh, responsively. <clears throat> bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless God's holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all God's enemies. Who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed by my people. The Lord who works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed has made known God's ways to Moses, God's acts to the people of Israel. The Lord will not always chide nor harbor anger forever. The Lord will not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is the Lord's steadfast love toward the faithful. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to the faithful. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more.
please. <clears throat> All three of our lessons today are from the book of Romans, and so the second reading is from the fifth chapter of Romans, verses 6 through 11. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we, now, we have now received reconciliation. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together for a time in prayer. Lord, we gather here today with gratitude in our hearts always because we recognize the goodness of the Lord and how, in the words of Scripture, we have received the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that gives us great confidence that we will receive the goodness of the Lord in the land of resurrection. How wonderful it is for us to know and to proclaim to the world all that Christ has done for us. How good it is to know that you take from us our sins and guilt and carry it away from us as far as is possible, which is an infinite distance from east to west. We are grateful for your deep, deep love for us that enables you to forgive and forget our many sins. We humans aren't quite as good about that forgetting part. We fear amnesia and loss of memory, but it would do us good, Lord, to have selective amnesia, to be able to forget some of the hurt that has been done to us in life and some of the hurt we have inflicted as well. We pray your blessings upon us as we learn to do as you do, to forgive and to forget. And it is wonderful for us to know that Jesus has set for us an example in life and has shown us by the life that he lived every day, the blessedness of caring for others, of making sacrifices of our own good and needs for the good of others. We are thankful for his example and feel challenged to follow Jesus in our daily lives. Cause us to remember that every day. And we're grateful that when Jesus rose victoriously over death, he ascended into heaven and sent to earth the blessed Holy Spirit that we celebrate during this season of Pentecost. We are grateful for your living presence among us and in us and with us, empowering us to live. It is wonderful for us to know that you are in front of us and behind us and beside us. And whenever we turn, there you are by your spirit, guiding us in ways that we're not even aware sometimes how you are working things out for your purpose and for our good. How good it is, O oh God, to put our trust in you and to know that your spirit is here to help, to help us grow and overcome our weaknesses in life. We pray that this coming week we might live in such a way that invites someone else to explore what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ and wanting to come on the journey with us. We pray all these things in the name of Christ who has taught us to pray saying, Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
You know, I have something else in my office that I need to give away. I think I'll give it to Ralph. It's a little box. It looks like Tide detergent, except it's called Repent. And it says it's body wash for that deep down kind of cleansing that you need. So, Ralph, I'll... <clears throat> you get there. All right. <clears throat> Third scripture reading from the book of Romans is from chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, for you did not receive the Spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you receive the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat> well, I decided to indulge myself with just three sermons left to inflict upon you. I've decided to repeat one today that I did back my first year here. Lots of you weren't here then in those days, and the rest of us have forgotten things that long ago. <laughs> um, and those who are new deserve to suffer as much as the rest of you. So, you know, just have to bring them up to speed with this one. I want to say that this sermon draws heavily upon a lecture I heard when I was a student at the Lutheran Seminary from a very, very favorite professor and friend, Dr. Benjamin Biedenbaugh, who is some kin to the Kynards, an uncle, I think. Um, he taught me so very much about the Bible and about the Christian faith. Back when uh, he was beginning his career in, in acting, before he was Andy Taylor of Mayberry or Matlock, Andy Griffith began his career as a stand-up comedian, telling stories as if he was somebody from way back up in the hills so far that uh, he hadn't been exposed to many things that you and I take for granted every day. You ought to go on the internet and look, um, look this up, look up what it was, was football. It is funny. <clears throat> but uh, Andy Griffith gave us many great lines in his stand-up comedy, like how Romeo broke out in a soliloquy right there on the spot. But his classic story was this football story. He said that he followed this huge crowd through this fence down to this big old cow pasture. And down there, it must have been at Clemson, down there at the pasture, he saw some convicts wearing striped shirts and blowing their whistle. <coughs> then there was these two bunches full of men running around down there on that cow pasture. Both bunches full of them wanted this funny looking little pumpkin to play with. And I know friends that they couldn't eat it because they kicked it the whole evening and it never busted. And then he said, I don't know, friends, to this day what it was they were doing down there, but I've studied about it. I think it was some kindly of a contest where they see which bunch full of them men can take that pumpkin and run from one end of that cow pasture to the other without getting knocked down or stepping in something. <clears throat> well, he was trying to describe football in terms that he knew something about, pumpkin and convicts and cow pastures. What it was was a cross, a death, and an empty tomb. What it was was God's provision for the salvation of the world. What it was was the resurrection of Jesus. But how do you begin to describe that to people of very different backgrounds in terms that might help them understand what God was doing in his loving plan? What stories might be helpful? What symbols might be helpful? Over time, the church assembled a host of symbols to help us, like the bread and wine of communion, butterflies, the water of baptism and cleansing, 
doves, fish, and symbols that we put all over our Christmas tree at Christmas time, Jesus is like a rock who was cleft for me. Paul used five different metaphors in the book of Romans to explain what salvation was all about. Five metaphors that came from five existing human institutions. And by doing that, he wasn't saying that, that you have to uh, totally buy into the, the symbolism or the metaphor. It's just a way of helping us to understand. You know, if we aren't careful, our figures of speech can run us into trouble, especially around children if we take them too literally. Like the time Dennis the Menace interrupted a conversation between his mother and a neighbor saying, Mom, I don't see any blue streak when she talks. But my favorite I've learned here, you all know that when um, Joan Wallace was a little girl, she was sitting at home with her family one day and the preacher came by to eat dinner with them. And Joan was just looking at the preacher, not eating. And finally her mother said, Joan, what's wrong? And Joan looked up and said, I don't know what you're talking about, Mama. He don't eat like a pig. <laughs> Watch out about what you say to children. They'll repeat it. <laughs> Symbols are still very helpful to us. The institution that Paul's readers and, and listeners knew the most about was the temple. In the temple, priests regularly made animal sacrifices that covered over our human sins. And that word cover is a very interesting word. In Hebrew, it's the root word of the word propitiation or expiation or atonement. And so whenever you see those words in scripture, let your mind take you to the temple because that's where those words came from and to the sacrifices there because they're telling you something about Jesus. Just as the priests made sacrifices to cover sins, so did God offer Christ as a sacrifice to cover our sins. Paul says of Christ that God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement, covering. Is there anything more human than our desire to cover our faces when we've made some kind of a mistake? Criminals will hide from a camera. I turn red-faced very easily. I embarrass easily all the time, but I seem to enjoy running into those situations that will embarrass me. When my nephew was a little bitty fellow and he would make some kind of a slip up, he would stop the minute he realized he'd messed up and look at us and point his finger and say, don't look at me, don't look at me. The psalmist felt that way when he said in Psalm 51, Lord, hide your face from my sins. The temple rituals were considered a way of covering over one's mistakes and sins through the blood of sacrifice. It was the blood of covering. Paul said in the same way, Jesus died to provide a covering for our sins. Now, <clears throat> please notice that it was our sins and not God's anger that got covered. The idea of covering in scripture is always directed toward us and not God. God doesn't need to have his feelings changed or his anger covered by, by sacrifice. Indeed, it was God himself who in his love provided the covering for people's sin. It is us that needs the covering. So how do we explain salvation? To those familiar with ancient Hebrew temple customs, salvation is sort of like God acting like the priest offering Jesus as a sacrifice to cover our sins. Therefore, we don't need to hide our faces in God's presence. Rock of ages cleft from me, let me hide myself in thee. A second set of symbols used in the book of Romans comes from the court of law. That's another institution that we all know a lot about from all our TV dramas. 
By the way, I recently read about a wife who went to court seeking a divorce on account of her husband's appearance. And the judge said, I don't understand why you would seek a divorce on the account of your husband's appearance. And she says, well, he hadn't appeared in two years. So I guess that, cut, that works. In our courts, in our courts, a defendant is presumed innocent until proven guilty. But in the ancient world, you had to prove your innocence. You were presumed guilty if you were in court. In the ancient court of law, there was the judge who would rule on your case. And you could argue your own case or have someone skilled in the law to be your advocate, your lawyer. Paul used symbols from that human institution to help him explain the gospel. As we defendants stand before God, our judge, Jesus stands beside us as our advocate, our lawyer. Christ has given his life for us and thereby won the case. Accordingly, God the judge has pronounced us not only not guilty, he has declared us to be innocent, righteous, which means to be in perfect relationship with God through the law vindicated, justified. Whenever you see those big words, justified, righteous, innocent, or vindicated, let your mind carry you to the arena of the courtroom because you're reading legal terms there. How might we explain salvation? It is as if we were on trial for our sins, but because of the work of our advocate, the judge has declared us innocent and in good standing with himself. A third institution that Paul used to explain salvation was the arena of, of uh, war. In war, you have two opposing sides, enemies who are at war with each other. For peace to be established, one of two things must happen. Somebody must win the war, or else you sit down and talk about it and come to terms of peace. When the two sides sit down and agree on peace, it is said that the two sides were reconciled to one another. So whenever you see those words reconciled or reconciliation in scripture, remember that that came from the image of war and peace and let your mind think of those things. Salvation is like that, Paul is saying. Salvation is like you and God were once estranged enemies, but now you are friends. You are at peace again. In this peace process, somebody had to make the first step. And it's very clear in this case who took the first step. It was God. We were not able or willing. And so God took the first step to initiate peace by coming for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. God took the initiative, and when Jesus was born, the angel said, Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Through his death, Christ secured peace between God and us, and we are now friends. So what is salvation like? It is like two sides who had been at war, but who now have achieved complete peace and friendship. It is as if God and his children were once upon a time at war, but now we are at peace. Our friend Enoch Finkley, when he used to proclaim the gospel, would stand and say that on the battlefield when he gave his heart to Jesus, it was Armistice Day. It was when peace was declared uh, on that battlefield between him and the Lord. A fourth human institution that provided a point of reference for Christians was the terrible institution of slavery. Perhaps one day slavery will be completely eliminated from our planet, but it has not yet occurred. In ancient times, someone might have to sell himself or his family into slavery because of, of a debt. Others were made slaves because of military conquest if your country lost the war, you were enslaved. Your freedom could be purchased if you could find enough money to do that, but that was very difficult. 
but your freedom could be purchased for you if someone else paid your debt and bought your freedom. That payment was called a redemption. So what does it mean to us who are Bible students if we see the word redemption? It means that when we come across those words like redeemer and redemption and redeemed in scripture, we should immediately remember that we once were slaves. We were slaves bought and sold into sin and we would still be if someone hadn't purchased our freedom. Paul said that you and I were once slaves and sin pays death as its, um, as its salary. Thanks be unto God, we have been redeemed and are no longer under that penalty. Jesus, by his death, bought our freedom and we're, we now belong to another master, Almighty God. There's another interesting fact about that word uh, redeemer that you need to know, and that is that it had a second meaning uh, in ancient times. It also meant next of kin. And that is because most of the time, if you were unfortunate enough to be sold into slavery, the person that came to redeem you was your next of kin, your father, your brother, someone kin to you. And so when we refer to Jesus as our redeemer, we're claiming him as our next of kin. Our big brother is what Paul liked to call him. To call God our redeemer is to recognize that God is our next of kin. How might we understand salvation? It is like we once were slaves, but through the death of Christ, we have been freed from that bondage. The final uh, metaphor comes from the institution of the family, and the key word in that, um, from that metaphor is the word adoption. Through adoption, someone outside the family is declared to legally belong to the family and is due the respect and inheritance of the other children that might exist in that home. I think it was at this point, eight years ago, I told you the delightful story about how from the Little Rascal series, Buckwheat had been adopted by an Islamic family and they changed his name to Kareem Dehuit. Yeah, I think that's what y'all did last time, too. But when a person is adopted, it isn't because of the, of the child's own goodness or worthiness. It's because the parents want that child. They love that child unconditionally. The nation of Israel had been adopted because of God's love and grace. They never had been deserving. Paul says salvation is like that. We were once outside the family of God, but now we have been brought into God's family by Christ. We have been adopted. We're not a begotten child like Jesus, but nevertheless what God did for us in Christ was to give us the same inheritance that Jesus has received. We are now children of God and joint heirs with Christ. And there are always witnesses in the court uh, when there is an adoption and we have witnesses Paul said to our adoption one is God's Holy Spirit has been given to us and another is deep down inside our own spirit agrees with God's Holy Spirit that we are God's children what is salvation like well remember the temple it is like a covering for our sins remember the court of law We've all been declared justified, righteous, and innocent. Remember war and peace. We have been reconciled and we're no longer God's enemies. It is like slavery. We have been redeemed from the ownership of sin and we now belong to God. It is like belonging to a new family, being adopted into the family of God. How great indeed is our salvation. Amen.